Welcome to the Script and Style Show, the web show where we talk about web development with the people that make it happen. Today's episode is brought to you by TrackJS JavaScript Error Monitoring. Know when errors hit your website with the context to find and fix bugs fast with TrackJS. Start your free trial today at trackjs.com. Hey everyone, welcome to the Script and Style Show, the show where we talk about web development and the people that make it happen. I'm Todd Gardner from TrackJS JavaScript Error Monitoring, and my co-host David Walsh, creator of the popular blog DavidWalsh.name and Christmas sweater aficionado. How's it going today, David? I'm doing great. How are you, Todd? I'm good. Um, I was logging into our YouTube channel here a few minutes ago to like get the, everything up and going. And uh, it had some interesting video suggestions for me that I don't think I've seen before, uh, like things about the WCW and like body oh, no. slam challenge and all kinds of crazy shit. What what's with that, dude? I have a confession. Okay, I missed a show a couple weeks ago because I was in Toronto, you know, to mentor some some students, right? But really, you were there to go check a wrestling match. Okay, just uh, give me a second. <laughs> okay, so whenever I go to tr- – the Toronto office is beautiful, right? But when work is over, I don't, like, go to – I like going to where I go, right? I don't, I'm not – I'm going to go 20 minutes to this um, restaurant. No, I always go to the same restaurant in Toronto every night, and then I go back to my hotel to blog, to work, because I'm just not one of those people that goes out a lot. And while I was at this sports bar, they had like an old wrestling video commercial. And instantly I was like 13 again. And so I, I go back to the hotel. I was like, oh, what's this guy? And you doing? bought some wrestling pay-per-view. No, no, I didn't. No, no. <laughs> but I did go to YouTube to catch up on what was, what was going on, right? But I was super careful to do it on my account, not our shared account. But... I slipped at some point. And so my dirty my dirty laundry is there for you to see. Yep. It's David a bit- Walsh. David Walsh, <laughs> popular, world-renowned blogger. Oh my enjoys, god. Always enjoys a good uh male acting wrestling match. Listen, how how else would I have known Bash at the Beach ended the way it did in 1998, man? Come on. Now you have to create a separate blog, man. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> no, I, I think uh, DavidWalsh.name will slowly evolve from JavaScript and CSS tips to be about basically PUBG and what happened last night on Monday Night Raw. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's get past this. This is terrible. <laughs> All right. We have a guest today, don't we? We do. We have my good friend, uh, Chris Van Wiemers from the Mozilla VR team. Um, as, as people found out about a year and a half, two years ago, I was starting to blog a lot and talk a lot about VR and a lot of it was inspired by Chris. So Chris, welcome. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. All right. So we usually start out the show the same way with people's origin stories. So no one gets to Mozilla VR team overnight. So like, how did you get excited about computers, web development? How'd you get to Mozilla? And finally, how did you get to the VR team? Uh, long story, but uh, I'll, I'll start at the beginning. My dad gave me a computer when I was four, said, figure it out. <laughs> uh, and, about, and you proceeded to dump your bottle of juice on it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> four is uh, pretty young. Yeah, so 
uh, fast forward to when I was eight, I started making websites by literally copying other people and hoping I didn't get caught, <laughs> hot linking images, that kind of thing. Um, and then around age 12, I started my own business, um, just learning on, learning on the job. You know, I would take, I would get free, uh, I would do stuff pro, pro bono and I would pretend to know what I was doing. And then I would actually learn the, the tech that I needed to and then it turned into a full-time business. Um, so I was still in school at the time, um, but that kind of evolved into, I got an internship at Mozilla. I was offered full-time job there. And this is my fifth team I've been on at Mozilla in seven years. Uh, so right before the VR thing, uh, we started on the games team. So we wanted to see if we could make the browser a console. And so I worked on that team for about a year and a half and that just naturally evolved into VR was Oculus Rift. Can we connect it to the browser? Yes, we can. Okay, let's build a team around it. So it was a very, uh, I wouldn't say skunk works, but a very um, experimental project, right? And now it's a team of 30, 35 people now. And so we're not just the VR team, we're the mixed reality team. So that covers augmented reality as well. So that's where we're at. Wow, that's a pretty cool path. I remember, um, speaking of games and VR, do you remember the Virtual Boy? Like Nintendo's <laughs> awful yes, first yes. attempt in, into such gameplay? We'll and get to that. Malls, yeah. <laughs> was it really? Yeah, I tried it out when, you know, when I was younger, yeah. I mean, yeah, there have been a couple of recreations of it, and there's actually a Duck Hunter for the Vive now, where you can put a, it's like a 200 bucks, but you can put the sensor on top of a controller, a gun. And you have duck, you have duck hunter again, but oh, we are. Oh. Yeah. I thought duck hunt only existed in the beginning, yeah, uh, as, as a free game for for uh, that came with Mario or whatever. But hey, <laughs> we've we've got we, we've come a long way, and we've not gone very far at the same time. Um, you you mentioned that you started out through the games team. Um, what were some of the things that the the games team were doing when you started out with them? The games team was trying to prove that WebGL was the future, that 3D graphics were important for the web. So at this time, uh, some of the folks on my team were, were trying to get Google and trying to get Apple to adopt WebGL. So WebGL wasn't on iPhones at the time, on iOS. And just through, just through a sheer... Um, business needs uh, agencies wanted to be able to have cool visualizations ad campaigns and they wanted to work everywhere so it just became universally adopted the chronos the chronos group kind of like the w3c but for more graphics heavy stuff uh, they took it under their wing and it's a real standard with the real team and there's a lot of collaboration between browser vendors and oems and it was really webgl that catalyzed everything uh, and so the reason we can have VR in the browser is because of WebGL. Without WebGL, we wouldn't have any of this. Uh, awesome. So, yeah, WebGL is 3D Canvas for you know folks who are more familiar with 2D web. Yeah. So before we get into what Mozilla is doing and even WebVR, um, let's talk about VR as a whole, right? So like, what's the current landscape of VR? Like the Oculus has um, popularity. The HTC Vive gave us room scale, but beyond those two. Like, what's the what's the hardware landscape right now? And 
are, are people still priced out? Is it still too early for mass adoption? Or like, where are we at now with VR as a whole? It's a good question. Uh, so right now you can get an Oculus Rift for $399, a Vive for $499. Uh, the, the cheapest, uh, I'd say usable, mass market ready device is Oculus Go for $199. Uh, and with that, you can use a web browser, you can purchase games, but you have only this controller. You can't walk around in a room. You don't have two hands. You have one hand. Uh, but that's all changing early next year. Oculus just announced at their last uh, Oculus Connect conference that they'll be having room scale sixed off, so six degrees of freedom, two controllers, early next year, early, early spring. So Vive beat them to that by a couple of years. Yes, but uh, this is untethered. And by untethered, I mean there, there are no, no cords. Wireless, okay. Completely wireless, uh, completely portable. You can put it in your backpack. With the Vive and Rift, you need to have uh, you know, NVIDIA uh, GTX 970 card at least. And you know, those PCs start about $1,000. Good ones about two, three, four thousand. 4000 uh, So yeah, I mean, the Oculus Quest, I think, personally, will will cause, will be mass adoption um, for, for VR. Uh, AR is a different story. Uh, the Magic Leap just, Magic Leap just uh, debuted a, kind of their first developer. I wouldn't call it developer, but it's meant for developer uh, kit. And they, they also have their own browser called Helio. Uh, so that is trying to set the, the foundations for what a 3D web looks like in the real world. Right, we've been talking about what it looks like with the headset on your face, but what does it look like with VR goggles on your face and you're interacting with the real world? So, like holograms that only you can see, basically. Right. And, and so, it's interesting you didn't mention either of the the VR techs that I actually I personally hear most about, which is either Microsoft Hololens in the AR space or Google Daydream. It's funny you say that. Yes. Uh, so. And that's not an oversight. Um, it's just personally, like looking at the market, uh, there's not a, a huge daydream market because they've been moved. The daydream that you showed, uh, the, we call it a clip-in. Um, yep. Right? So you need a phone plus the viewer for, for that daydream viewer. Uh, daydream's been putting their effort behind the Lenovo Mirage Solo. And that is that has kind of room scale capabilities. So you can walk around without cables. It's not completely room scale. You only have a three off controller, one controller, uh, but it gives you a good sense of where the tech's going. So Oculus Quest is, is kind of the, uh, I'd say taking Oculus Rift and making it portable, making it rival uh, what we'd expect from you know, a VR headset. Because yeah, the, the Daydream, it, it doesn't have room scale tracking. Uh, the one that you have. And there's also the PSVR, which is wildly popular. Uh, reason I'd, I'm not going to get into that too much is because we don't have the web browsers there. Mm -hmm. uh, but mm -hmm. it's still interesting. There's there's a big market there. And I mean, I, I go to tons of friends' places and they bought a PSVR, but you know they have no interest in a Vive or a Rift or, or Daydream for that matter. Uh, there's also Windows Mixed Reality, which is, they have quite a few headsets uh, produced by different companies. And those are quite nice because they, they're portable. Um, you can fit it in your backpack, and they work really well on the Windows machines. 
And it works with Microsoft Edge. It works with Firefox. Uh, it works with builds of Chrome. So yeah, there's there's a lot of headsets on the market right now. Is is what I'm getting at. <laughs> awesome. So aside from games, which is like the obvious, like typical use case, what what kind of VR use cases are you guys thinking about? So there's there's aspirational content, as, as I like to call it, and then there's realistic content. Realistically, what people are using VR for is games and videos. That, um, that's just anecdotally, and if you look at the numbers, that's just where it's at. But some of that is because Steam is how most people are acquiring these games, and Oculus Home, uh, the Oculus Store. So by nature, uh, the games are already promoted more, and people who are gaming are buying VR. Uh, but beyond games, what I what I think and I I see VR being good applications for is meditation, uh, exposure therapy, uh, prototyping designs. So being able to design things in three dimensions that would take you way longer to to do in like 3D Studio Max or Cinema 4D or Maya. Uh, live performances, uh, performance art. There's a couple of VR artists who do live performances with the Vive controllers. Uh, health, health. Um, doing like instead of having an actual cadaver, you can put your hand, you can, your students can put their hands into a body and take out parts and 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 kind of learn without having to use fit physical objects. And, and another one is uh, cooperatively experiencing things together. So uh, at Mozilla, we have a project called Hubs, and it's it's a social VR experience. So you can draw things together. You can you can slap on GIFs, uh, videos, images, and you can just kind of throw objects towards you know at each other or <laughs> or pass things and uh, na- navigate into different rooms. And it kind of adds this. It makes you realize that okay, there are game-like mechanics, but it's not an actual game. You can use it for a meeting. You can use it to uh, to illustrate something that would be hard otherwise with Google Hangouts, for example. Why yes. would I do use it for a meeting? Like, what's what's the use case behind it? So we are, we've already heard that people are using it for meetings, and the uh, uh, the reason for me is you can hear multiple conversations, and multiple people can be talking at the same time. So right now, you and I have to take breaks; we can't talk over one another. But in the in hubs multiple people can be having conversations. And if I go closer, I can hear the conversation, but I can go start another conversation in another side of the room. And, and that's something that I never really thought about until it was built. And I realized, okay, that's, besides the novelty of being able to see people yeah. in VR, that's an added benefit that I, I don't see in any other 2D applications. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's not as much a meeting, it's like a VR cocktail party. Yeah, yeah. You can walk around and mingle with other people and start new conversations. That's cool. And th- and there's not that, if you back away, there's not that uh, social anxiety that you might feel in real life of, oh, I'm committed to this corner. I have to talk to these people. You know, you, you just teleport to another side of the room and no feelings hurt, right? <laughs> so... Um, we'll get we'll get back to Hub in a second because I really want to talk about that. But one of the things that I found so eye opening um, when I started contributing with your team, you, like I said, you always you always thinking about games, right? And like the games, they're 
there are a handful of games out there that are just unbelievable, right? Like Arizona Sunshine is really good. Um, and then there are some like smaller games, like smaller VR basketball games, baseball games. Um, Audio Shield's really good. But I sort of expected that. What I didn't expect was to go through some of these experiences that weren't so much games, just they put you in a position to, to interact with an environment. Um, and that's where I understood where VR could go, like, like why it's important more than games. Um, my, for example, my grandparents are never going to have the, um, they'll never push themselves to visit Italy. But if you could go through a VR tour of walking down the streets of Rome, I think that could still have like a really huge impact on people. And so whenever people, whenever, you know, people poo poo VR to me, I'm like, it's not just games and it's not just adult movies. It's, you know, it, it puts you in a position to experience things and feel something different. Um, that being said, um, Mozilla started implementing WebVR and you were actually one of the co-authors of the spec. Um, like what was that? Had, had you ever written a spec before or what was that like? What, what drove you to do that? Yeah, I, I had never written a spec before, but I, I reviewed a lot of specs and I, I've, I've written code from specs. Um, I find that specs and MDN are, and, and obviously David Walsh got named because you can't avoid it in the Google searches, <laughs> uh, are, are the way I, I like to build things. And so I like to refer to the docs, to the spec, you know, the authoritative source. Um, but kind of it was, I participated in it out of necessity. Uh, this all started with uh, Vlad Volchevik in 2014. Uh, he wanted to see if we could get Firefox to render VR content, right, with Oculus. And he partnered with Brandon Jones at, at Google. And so this was both of their first specs. Uh, Vlad worked on WebGL, invented WebGL. But this is the first cooperative spec we had worked on that was not officially W3C spec. Uh, so it graduated into a W3C spec and a community group and now a working group. So this is all under the immersive web working group right now, the W3C. But when we started, this was just trying to take the full screen API and make it work for VR. We, we were just hijacking. We were overloading the, the full screen API. So a, a, couple folks, a couple folks, including myself, uh, had to sit down in a room and say, OK, how can we make this a real thing? Because Edge and you know, Safari are not going to implement this. We need to make this. We need to really think this through. And so that led to conversations. Uh, we had a W3C workshop where we had about 30 different speakers. It was an awesome event at the Samsung Center. And that was really what I think brought life into, into the VR and AR efforts. That was the first time I saw every company, including companies who haven't been in the spec, haven't been participating in the spec, they were there representing their companies. And that, to me, was a sign that this is going somewhere. Uh, you, you can't ignore it. I mean, it doesn't matter the form, we, the form factors that we see or that we're using today. The 3D web is, is happening, um, undisputably. So you, you mentioned the early days. What worked back then, and what did you learn 
wasn't going to work, whether it be VR or just VR in the browser? It's a great question. Uh, what I wanted to work was CSS and VR. I wanted to be able to write CSS for the UI uh, because WebGL, it, there's a steep learning curve. Uh, I, I can't pretend to, to be an expert in WebGL. People use 3JS and A-Frame to build WebVR content, but we, we need to be able to create simple UIs that work in VR. And CSS to me is, is, a, good, is, is a good model for that. So Vlad actually got experimental builds of Firefox working with CSS VR. So this was taking CSS 3D transforms and making it render in VR, which is pretty, pretty amazing. Unfortunately, turns out CSS is not optimized for 3D. So, <laughs> imagine, imagine that. Yeah, right. It's so strange. <laughs> um, so we were filing bug reports like scrolling uh, a scrollable iframe uh, projected, you know, in 3D trans with 3D transform, uh, takes a minute and a half to scroll 10% of the page. And they were like, well, just don't do that then. <laughs> Resolved invalid. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it, it was difficult to get those things fixed and, and there was no standard for it. So we were asking for things that really, there was no, there was no provable reason why we should do this. There's no justifiable reason. Uh, that's not to say that it won't come back in some form with the with the now immersive web working group, uh, but at the time, it was an experiment, and it's something that I thought could ease web developers into 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 VR and AR. Uh, this is all before uh, A-Frame, so this this whole experiment informed A-Frame. I mean, we had an actual browser that was two D and VR built on CSS VR. Uh, so this is 2015. And so this, this evolved into building A-Frame as a web components-based way of uh, designing VR games and applications. So Mozilla jumped in and started, started A-Frame, is that correct? Yes. So it was, it was a couple of us, uh, about four or five of us, we sprinted to get it done. We, we demoed it at a conference, a TCI conference, released the source uh, publicly open. And within 48 hours, we had about 40 creations that people had submitted to us. That was crazy to me because <laughs> I didn't know there was an appetite for that because why weren't people showing WebVR stuff before that, right? And, and, and the answer was this, this lowered, lowered the barrier trend. The, the barrier to entrance. Uh, people who knew HTML and a little bit of JavaScript saw this as approachable. And that, that was the whole idea, was to take web developers and, and let them build 3D things. So what type of things can somebody create with A-Frame? Uh, what we're seeing people, what we've seen people create are, I'd say mostly I don't want to say imitations, but um, adaptations of native VR games. That's probably the most common thing you'll we'll see. Uh, there's a lot of 360 video galleries. That, that's a very common use case. I have a 360 video, want to play it. I don't want to have to deal with all the underlying JavaScript. Um, a lot of educational experiences, in fact. Uh, that was the thing that surprised me the most. Because that's what we wanted people to use VR for, but... 
I wasn't sure how people were going to use the technology. So there's a leap motion. Uh, if you're familiar with this, if you're not familiar with this, uh, you put a put a sensor on, in front of your headset, and you just move your hands out. So you don't need a controller. And someone built, uh, some university students built something called Cadaver, Cadaver VR. Uh, and so you would reach your hands into a body, pull something out, look at it. And I thought that was a pretty interesting uh, use of A-frame. So th those kind of things, uh, relaxation, very ambient music, atmospheric things. Uh, so mostly experiments, I'll, I'll say. But that's not to say that web VR can't be used for other applications. So Todd, you know, the first time my five-year-old thought of me as a, a great superhero was not, you know, paying the bills or Christmas or whatever toys. It's when I created a VR art gallery full of superhero pictures that he could walk around. And I did that using A-Frame. And I wrote a blog post about it, which I never published, but <clears throat> that just as a story, that's the first time my son recognized that I was good for, for something. Well, it's and funny. In the real world. Right. <laughs> it's funny you say that because a lot of people have asked me, can I build my own worlds? And I was like, what do you mean? They're like, I have all these dreams that I just wanted to, to relive, but I, I, you know, I can't. And can VR do that? Like I've had students ask me this quite a few times. And I said, yeah, you can. And there are tools that, so uh, the Mozilla Hubs team, uh, they're working on releasing a project called Spoke. And this project is meant to lower the barrier of entry for creating 3D scenes using this format called GLTF. So you can imagine that Hubs will be a place where you can join the rooms, but those rooms themselves can be created by you using a, a GUI, an editor. So what we did with A-Frame, we're trying to do again for social VR. So you can create a world that your kids could, could jump into and or they could create the world and you're kind of building each other's dreams and you can actually jump into their dreams. This is somewhat reminiscent of like old, Microsoft chat rooms of like not it's not VR, but like people could like make their own like rooms. You could walk around in them using your keyboard. Like it seems like we've done this before. That that is true. And uh, Janice VR is a very good example of this. Uh, this, this predated a frame and it, it set. It, it, they call it the, you know, the metaverse, uh, if you've read Snow Crash or are familiar with the, the literature. It is designed to, so yeah, it's like, it's like social VR. Um, you use the keyboard or mouse or VR controls and you navigate between worlds. Uh, what is the difference? Yeah, what have we learned? What are we doing differently? We've learned a lot about social communities now. We've learned a lot about how to prevent harassment. Uh, what are people actually doing in the games? How do we enable people to lurk, right? Uh, not everyone wants to be in a Second Life game. That's, that's not really fun for a lot of people. But to be able to watch what people are doing, kind of Twitch style, that's something you can already do in hubs today. And I think being a viewer and not a participant is the big difference here. Is with the phone, I can... I can just watch what people are doing. I can listen in on them and move around, go to different places, not have to talk. 
but in Second Life, I have to be in the game. I have to be participating. So it's slightly different. Um, it's we're still trying to grow with the the technology. Uh, so as there's more input, we'll enable that input. Uh, we also have more webby content that we didn't have with these other applications. So being able to just drop a GIF, drop a YouTube, uh, draw, like we didn't have WebRTC in the browser, you know, years ago. These kind of things enable peer-to-peer -peer communication. Yeah. Awesome. I like being able to drop an animated GIF like reaction to something. That's that's the killer app right there. That's 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 the game changer. Um, so what were some of the pain points you had building this thing up? Uh, which one, A-Frame or Hubs? A-Frame or Hubs, a yeah. Uh, we'll start with A-Frame. Uh, the pain points, uh, developing an ecosystem that enabled modules to be published and reused was a big challenge. And we knew that going in. Uh, we had hoped that you know, we would have community support, uh, but what we realized is that it was difficult to keep things sane, to keep things up to date. Uh, so the community has done a great job of this. But what we've realized is that to build a scene, you need to focus on composability. You need people to be able to take an existing example and fork it. And so, so that's what Hubs is, has learned from, is let's create a bunch of nice templates, let people fork them, let people remix them. Uh, because at the code level, it's a little challenging to, to fork things. Uh, you have to pull in different components from NPM. It's, it's a challenge if you're not well-versed in NPM, you know, dependencies, Node, all that kind of stuff. So Hubs is, is trying to remove those dependencies and just focus on the 3D creation with the GUI and drag and drop and GIFs and YouTube and Sketchfab models, 3D models, that, that sort of thing. Is Hubs a little bit like Rec Room? Yeah, yes, you could say that. Uh, it's Rec Room but loads faster and <laughs> by URL. Uh, the, the key difference is hubs, you send a link to someone and they join hubs. Rec Room, you join a lobby and you join a game with other people. So hubs, because of the privacy and security implications of mostly privacy, uh, we, we didn't want to moderate content. We didn't, we are, but we don't want to be the gatekeepers of, you can only say this thing, you can only be in this place. Uh, it requires a full-time staff. So what we've decided to do is have a separate room for a separate experience, and only your friends can join that. Anyone who has a URL can join that. Uh, so in that way, it's different than Rec Room. What, uh, what's the hardware barrier of entry? So you can use an iPhone 6. Uh, it's been tested for iPhone 6. Um, iOS 11 and up. Uh, Android, not ex sure exactly which version, but you know it works on Android on pretty much every new Android phone. Works on Gear VR, Oculus Go. So, you know, all your low-end VR devices. And it doesn't have to be VR. You can, you can do this on your desktop, too. You can do it on a Mac. Any, any PC that doesn't have VR, you can still... You can still join and have your audio, uh, your mic, and hear things. So and how you do you just walk? If you're just joining with your desktop, you just like walk around with like a you know a window into the view. <clears throat> Correct. Yeah. 
you just use your keyboard and the mouse to to pan around uh and with your phone you know similar thing and with the uh with the three dot like the Oculus go you teleport so you click this button and hold and you press trigger and you you jump to places instead of walking in the room with the vive for example so when i was contributing to this project and it was probably close to 2 years ago um there were like five of you. <laughs> That's true. Yes. <laughs> so, so, like, how big is the team now, and, and how were you able to, uh, you know, go from that team to this big team and accomplish something as big as Hubs? It's a great question. Uh, yeah, it started off as as four folks. Uh, they grew to about thirty five right now, and we we have some great leadership. Um, Lars Bergstrom, our our director, he he really saw the potential in this and organized our teams in, in, in a way that we could get things done. So I, I moved off of spec work, um, for example, that enabled me to get things done on the content side of things. Uh, Casey, he, uh, we were, you know, we were all working on a frame way back, you know, back in 2016, 2015, 2016, he was able to work on the unity project. So exporting games to mm-hmm. unity. Uh, web games unity so it was really just a change of uh love leadership really um because we were all our own managers essentially i mean we had some we reported to but we had a lot of projects we wanted to do but you need someone to help you manage the logistics and coordinate between teams right we needed things done on the graphic side with firefox well we're only a couple engineers. We need someone else to do to have those conversations. So th- th- things got prioritized. Uh, the market, the VR market, really changed things too because uh, we weren't there on iPhones and you know, on mobile on day one, but we're there in the VR landscape in the VR market right now. We have a browser that it's still early, but we are competition now. And, and and that's that's a big change. That was how we were able to to get the size team, and how we're able to get approval and um, it, you know interest uh, commitment to to these projects. So I've heard about Firefox Reality. How does that fit in with the rest of this? Good question. So we started with Firefox for desktop, which is Windows because it doesn't work on the other OSs. The the headsets don't work. Uh, that was shipped in 2016 and Firefox 55. Firefox Reality was started pretty recently, and that's based on Android. So that's designed for standalone headsets. So the Oculus Go, the Lenovo Mirage Solo, and the HTC Vive Focus. That's, uh, that's, it's an offshoot of the, the Vive, but it's uh, portable. Um, Firefox Reality is based upon Gecko, which is the Firefox engine, but it's Gecko View. So this is embeddable Gecko. So Firefox that could be put on any Android phone, and you can hide the UI, the Chrome, and that's what you have. So we're using Gecko View, and we're, we're adapting for all the different SDKs to handle the rendering versus Oculus versus Daydream versus Vive Focus, that sort of thing. So it's a... It's a full project. It's a, we have ambitions to make it an AR browser as well. So what you see today is just VR only. 
so it has ability to render in VR and do web VR content, but we will do AR. And that, that team is, I mean, there's some great engineers and designers on the, on this team. Uh, it's been awesome to work with them. I mean, we are, we are working with the other browser vendors to design the spec for web VR for WebXR, but how a browser looks, that's up to us. We just have to make things that seem consistent with how people have been using their desktop and mobile browsers. So that becomes a challenge is what is intuitive for people? I mean, what, what will not confuse people <laughs> is really the question we've asked ourselves every day. I imagine that there are some changes to what a browser would look like in VR versus what a browser would look like on my desktop. How do you, how do you make those decisions to make it consistent, but like take advantage of the, the new perspective that you get in VR? So what I like about VR is that it, there's a very singular focus. I mean, when you do a, when you play a game, you're not on your phone, you're not eating, you're not doing multiple things at once, you're doing one thing. But also because you have 360 you know, field of view, now we can do multiple things at once. So we can have 20 browser tabs, browser windows. Mm -hmm. uh, that becomes a little dangerous because we're running on mobile hardware. So to have 20 different things going at once, the hardware is not ready for that, uh, unfortunately. But that is what people want. There are things we can do to kind of give people a reason to be in VR without sacrificing performance. So an example would be, okay, I want to browse Reddit, but I also want to listen to SoundCloud at the same time. We can do things like that. And that gives you a reason to, or look at Google Earth with a nice soundtrack. That gives you a reason to want to put the headset on. Um, but it's something that, right, you, you're, there's not really an analog to, to that on, on the PC. Um, so yeah, those are kind of some of the things that yeah, tabs, uh, being able to being able to have cooperative browsing, right? Um, kind of like hubs, but being able to see what's on someone else's computer uh, remotely, right? You play this, a game together, watching a movie together, uh, Netflix or something like that. Th those are kind of the use cases for cooperative browsing. But again, we we don't know that that's something that people want yet. We need we need to wait for the market to kind of show that. Awesome. So a, a lot of this stuff, um, what do you write it in? Is this, is this like Rust, like a lot of the other bits of, of, uh, of the core, or is it in something else? Good question. Uh, so originally, this was written, so Firefox WebVR desktop written in C++, uh, and the DOM, the DOM stuff is JavaScript. Firefox Reality is written in Java, Android Java. Uh, and the, the code, it's like the web VR experiences themselves. That's all JavaScript. So yeah, we're, we're writing our browsers in our mobile standalone browser, Firefox reality in Java. Uh, and the, the UI is designed, um, you know, in vector graphics and we have to, we have to take those vector graphics, put them into Android studio and then, and then render the UI. So there's, this feedback, this this kind of iteration cycle is is not fast uh, because of having to pull things into a two D context into a three D context, test it. So there, there's this this kind of loop that 
I, I think prototyping tools will get better at. But right, I mean, it's us, Google, uh, Samsung, Oculus doing this. There's there's no tools for for kind of building VR browsers yet. Is what I'm getting at. So, what are the what is Mozilla's support for AR and VR right now? Like, how can how can someone watching right now um, jump in, start using native APIs, and and what can they expect as far as performance or hoops they have to jump through? So if you have a Windows PC with a beefy enough graphics card and you have an Oculus Rift or a Vive, you can download Firefox or open it as you already have it installed and enter WebVR content. So WebVR version 1.1. And you can expect to see 90 frames a second rendering. Wow. Yeah. The, I mean, with the desktop, it's... Again, this is because of the desktop hardware and the GPUs. Uh, on mobile, it's a different story. Uh, no one's hitting 90 frames a second on mobile. Uh, we're not 64-bit yet. Uh, there are a lot of there are a lot of strides that need to be made to to achieve that kind of level of performance on mobile. I'm optimistic that we'll get there because I think mobile hardware it will prevail. Um, it's just going to keep getting better. But the performance you can't expect in any of the browsers to, to rival that of the desktops. Um, but if you want to try it today and you want to design portably, like I love designing on this. Uh, with the Vive and the Rift, it was a pain. Uh, to be honest, I didn't. I tried to spend a little time in VR as possible when I had a room scale setup because it was just more comfortable to game in it, not to design in it. This I can just put to my head. Uh, and for one ninety nine, you can buy an Oculus Go. Uh, I would, I would say, you know, early next year, buy buy the the Oculus um, the Oculus Quest. That that will be a good developer experience uh, and good user experience. So it, it depends on uh, what people are using VR for. So if you want to use VR for to get ahead of the curve and to design for the three D web, I'd say st- you know pick up an Oculus Go today and use Firefox reality to prototype. If you're trying to if you're trying to play games, I'd say stick to the Vive and Rift for now and until the mobile hardware gets better. So, where do you see VR? It, like is VR going to be a fad and we're not going to be talking about it in 5 years or do you still feel like VR is gaining momentum and is definitely going somewhere? There are many schools of thought on this. Uh, I, I, I can't say one way or the other whether VR will be a fad, but if I, I went to Disneyland recently and, and Universal, and I saw how, I wouldn't say, yeah, dated the technology was. I mean, these simulator rides. I was like, this would just be so much better with the headset on. Right. And, and so I think if you think, what are you going to have in your house? Okay, maybe not a VR headset. Okay, maybe not even an AR headset. But there will be VR headsets in amusement parks, no question. I mean, that's pretty undeniable. Um, I'm already seeing them at AMC theaters today, right, for movie trailers. You can go in these pods or this new movie and you have a headset strapped on. Oh, nice. Uh, but I, I kind of I equate it to a pinball machine. People are like, why do you need a pinball machine? You, 
no one's going to be able to afford those. Well, yeah, no one actually had them in their houses. <laughs> they went to places to play them. Right. So what we're seeing in Japan and China is a ton, ton, tens of thousands of internet cafes have been repurposed into VR cafes. So what people used to do to just check their email, they're now going to play games and other experiences, obviously, but mostly games. It's like the new arcade. Exactly, exactly. And it can be very social because you can have multiple people in the same physical reality, but with a headset on. And you can have physical objects that simulate things in the virtual world. And so, yeah, I I don't think it'll be a fad. I mean, if we look at the, the Asian markets right now, it's not a fad. It's it's already a way of life and entertainment. So I do think Northern, Northern America is uh, a little behind in that. Um, Europe is adopting VR, I'd say, a little quicker than I'm seeing in the U.S. Uh, but yeah, I, I think the two will kind of converge into something. The question is, do you want an AR headset strapped to your head? Um, you know, do you... Are, I don't know about you, but you know my relationship with my phone is already a little tenuous. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if I want to add another layer of that. Uh, what I like about VR is that it feels like I'm in a cinema. I am doing a single task I'm in someone else's world, and then I put it down. That's not how I use my phone. My phone is utilitarian, but also recreational. So we, we have to be careful when we design these things to not make them too addictive really, uh, because we don't want it to be a replacement for, re- for reality and real relationships. So the reason that I, part of the reason I asked that question is because when I jump on the Steam store, as you do, um, a lot of the experiences or games are essentially the same. There's like 50 versions of every, you know, shooter. There's 50 versions of ping pong, um, how can we take VR further? What's the next step so that not all experiences are alike? Because essentially that's what we're going to need for virtual reality to keep the momentum, right? New experiences, new capabilities. Like what's the, what's the future of VR? How do we keep it going? This, this is why I got into the web VR is I think the only way is to get out of the app stores because there are some artists who are incredibly talented and they just want to create stuff and not have to pay money to get onto steam. You have to pay money to get your game on steam End of story. Uh, there's a great service called itch.io, which is an indie pay what you want model for publishing games. You can publish a web VR game. There's, there's several experiences there. I think the itch model and, you know, going to Firefox reality, having the content feed there, those are more, accessible ways for people con- to consume content. And from there, you'll, you, I think what people are using the web for, which is news, media, humor, these kind of things can't live on the Steam front page. I mean, they just don't. It's, it's dramatic shooters. That, that's, that's what we're seeing. So those things belong on the web. I think it's just a natural evolution of it. And the tricky part will be navigating between all this content that's going to become the challenge is like, what's, what do I want to see? What's safe? What are my friends doing? That that's all kind of up in the air right now because steam has a sense of user accounts, community, friends. Uh, we don't have that built into the web yet. 
we have services like Facebook, uh, but will people be comfortable using Facebook or Google login, Google Hangouts? These are questions we haven't answered yet. So I have to ask this. It's, it's a little side question, but I have to ask it. Sure. What sort of experiences or games are you enjoying right now? Re- relaxation, uh, guided meditation, and irrational exuberance. And uh, Kabibo Isaac Cohen, he makes these great, I, I'm not going to call them even experiences because that doesn't do them justice. They are, they're pleasures. They're, they're, they're 3D pleasures. Um, there's a, probably my favorite game is called, I would not even call it a game. My favorite piece of content is called The Wave. And it's, I'd say like a music festival meets, uh, yeah, it's, it's like a music festival meets the outdoors and the, the, the supernatural. So, so it feels like you're, you're transported to a different planet in each experience, and they're created by different artists. I think that is really engaging. It's to go to different environments and not be prescribed to, to do something. So all my favorite experiences are things that don't have a plot or don't have a mission. You're, they're atmospheric. They're, they're ambient. That's it, great. I, it's kind I, of I, the mind, you know, that, that's, that's the nice part is that you're not in this competitive mode. You're in this relax, you're in this relaxing, accepting mode. You're just kind of experiencing it. See, this is where I'm doing it all wrong because if I get a little bit of time, I want to like jump in and shoot some zombies, <laughs> but I need to like back up and relax. I like, I honestly think that would be a lot better <laughs> for my mental state than <laughs> <laughs> than having my wife grab my arm when there's a zombie nearby and I freak the hell out. Um, yeah, that's that's definitely something I need to look into. Well, w- one technique that I found is when I come home from work, if I'm in the mood for VR, just jump right in. Because if I do it later, you know, I want to watch TV or, you know, watch a game or something. So, you know, if you kind of find yourself anxious, try VR. Try jumping in VR and seeing if that that helps. Because I wouldn't say it's a replacement to, you know, exercise or any healthy alternative. Um, <laughs> but it, it 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 does have potential, and you know, you you're no longer sucked into the dopamine rushes of I got to shoot this person, I got to shoot this person, got to shoot this person. You're just using it as an, a tool, and then you put it down when you're done. Um, but yeah, that, that's what my personal view of VR. How I like to use it. Awesome. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap it up. So how we typically finish our show is we'll each kind of do a core takeaway of like, what did we pick out of the show? Um, David, how about you go first? I have a ton of core takeaways. Number one, I want to thank Sivan for uh, helping me out um, when I was contributing to his team. It, I, I've never been good at geometry. Geometry's never been my thing. When we think of 3D worlds, you know, there, there's a lot of geometry to it. But working with working in the VR space as a developer made me think differently about coding, um, and, and especially user experience. Right? You know, right now on the web, you hover over things with your mouse. You click things with your mouse. Uh, for example, in VR, in I forget the term, Sivan will know it right off the bat, but instead of, you know, clicking at things or even using remotes, you can just look at things. And if you look at it for a long enough time, it like selects that sort of thing. Like it really makes you think about interactions um, from a 
programmable standpoint um, and, and how they can affect user experience. Um, I've also been able to use VR for stress relief. So last week I was really stressed out about something. I jumped in VR. There's an awesome, um, there's an awesome game that I bought that's just Home Run Derby. So for a half an hour I swung a bat, hit a ball quite far, by the way. Um, and, and just like it was instant stress relief. It, it, it made me feel good. And lastly, um, and I shouldn't do this, but I, I want to call out some user experiences for the Vive um, that I really recommend. Selfie Tennis is good. Arizona Sunshine. Audio Shield, my wife is addicted to, um, but she'll kill me if I ever um, film her doing it. Hollow Ball, Hoops VR. Um, my kid likes uh, Mary Snowballs. Rec Room is amazing, by the way. Um, raw data. And there's also a Batman experience. That's really cool. So I want to call those out as a bunch of experiences where if people get a Vive or an Oculus now, they can go in and have hours and hours and hours of fun. Um, Todd, how about you? What did you learn today? What's your takeaway? I really liked my uh, the hubs, hubs.mozilla.com. That looks like a really cool, like, step into a use case of this tech uh, of, of web VR that isn't just games, um, which I personally haven't had, you know, a fantastic VR gaming experience yet. Um, and so I think this is like a really cool, like first step into it. It gets you excited. Um, I actually been joining a few of them uh, while we've been talking here and just kind of clicking around uh, in the, you know, the 2D world not the 3d world and it's uh it's it's really fun i think you should totally check it out um Steven, why don't you uh finish this up what is anything any core takeaways you want to leave us and uh anything else you'd like to plug yeah the biggest the biggest takeaway i i want people to have from this is uh ignore the hype but believe in 3d so you don't have to believe in vr you don't have to believe in ar but you should believe that things that you've been designing in two dimensions will become three-dimensional. Uh, web developers need to pay attention to this because uh, it's going to happen and someone else will beat you to it. So learn 3D skills. That doesn't mean you have to understand the math, just learn the tools. Um, when it comes to doing web development, uh, web VR, uh, take a look at 3JS. If you're an artist, take a look at Tilt Brush, take a look at uh, Sketchfab, take a look at hubs. These are great, great places to start if you're an artist and you want to get into the third dimension. Uh, and, and the last thing I'd say is uh, you can make money doing this stuff. And just because it's the web doesn't mean you, you have to give away your work for free. There are services like Itch that you can accept money. Uh, you can accept money with Stripe, Apple Pay. There are ways to make money off of this stuff. Uh, so don't think this is all, you know, us trying to get experiments for free just to make VR browsers look cool. Uh, there, there are monetization opportunities out there. And the last thing I'll say is, if you're in any industry that's not gaming, uh, get in now. Uh, movie trailers, uh, design prototyping, uh, performance art, health, anything. Uh, the web is a great place to do these experimentations. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I think we had a had a great conversation today about VR on the web. Um, we are off next week. 
Uh, I'm going to be on vacation so that we are not going to be doing a show, but we will be back on October 25th. We're going to talk more about games, uh, specifically games with JavaScript and the Excalibur JS framework. We're going to have Eric Onerheim and Kamran Ayub on it, who are the maintainers of that library. I think that's going to be a fun show. Uh, until then, thank you so much for joining us. I've been Todd Gardner from TrackJS and my co-host... David Walsh. Adios. The Script and Style Show is recorded and produced by David Walsh and Todd Gardner. We'll see you next time on Script and Style.